History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 446th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we are doing a house, which is called the Southgate Thompson House. I kind of put those two together because it's officially known as the Thompson House. But the Southgate family were the ones to build it and live there for a long time, too. This is in Kentucky. Got quite a few haunts going on here. Looking forward to covering it. And on top of that, this is located in a city called Newport in Kentucky. We're going to talk about a couple of the other haunted places here. And now this moment, Noddity. The moment in Oddity was suggested by Michael Rogers. The Leatherman was a famous vagabond who wore a handmade leather suit, including his clothes, shoes, scarf, and hat. He traveled regularly between the Connecticut River and the Hudson River from approximately 1857 to 1889. This mysterious man walked a route of 365 miles year after year and was believed to be a French-Canadian. Although he was fluent in French, when spoken to, he would rarely reply with anything but a grunt or gesture. He would generally return to the towns along his path every five weeks. Residents often considered it an honor that he would choose to accept food and supplies from them, often eating the offerings on their doorsteps. Ten of the towns that he traveled through passed ordinances exempting the Leatherman from the state tramp law passed in 1879. Despite surviving foul weather and frostbite with all ten fingers and toes intact, his final demise was due to cancer of the mouth because of years of chewing tobacco use. His body was found on March 24, 1889 in Mount Pleasant, New York. He was buried in Sparta Cemetery on Route 9 in Ossining, New York, with his original tombstone reading as follows. Final resting place of Jules Bourgelet of Lyons, France, the Leatherman, who regularly walked a 365-mile route through Westchester and Connecticut from the Connecticut River to the Hudson, living in caves in the years 1858 through 1889. On May 25, 2011, the Leatherman's remains were exhumed to be moved to a different location within the cemetery. With this exhumation, no remains were found, so only coffin nails and soil were reinterred within a pine box. And the new tombstone simply reads, The Leatherman. Although the original tombstone bared the recorded name of Jules Bourgelet, researchers and the death certificate still list this man as unidentified. A man trekking 365 miles continually for 31 years through harsh weather and being welcomed as an honored guest while barely speaking a word certainly is odd.
And now, This Month in History. In the month of August, on the 12th in 1990, the skeleton of a Tyrannosaurus Rex was discovered in South Dakota. This is a fairly recent bit of history, but it's cool, so we wanted to share it. The incredible find was at the hands of fossil hunter Susan Hendrickson, who saw three huge bones jutting out of a cliff. Hendrickson worked for the Black Hills Institute of Geological Research, and they paid the man who owned the land, Maurice Williams, $5,000 so they could excavate what turned out to be the largest Tyrannosaurus Rex ever discovered. The Institute planned to build a nonprofit museum to display the fossil they named Sue in honor of the discoverer. They were stopped in their tracks by the U.S. government, who sued, claiming that the bones had been on federal land. It was found that Williams had traded his land to the Cheyenne River Sioux to avoid paying property taxes, and the deal with the Institute was declared invalid. Sioux was sold at public auction for $8.36 million, and this was to Chicago's Field Museum. Scientists found that the bones were so complete and well-preserved that they were able to find out more about the dinosaurs. One of those things was that Sioux had a wishbone, meaning their theories that birds are a type of living dinosaur might just be true. So who gets to break that wishbone, Kelly? Come on, let's do it. The first image we saw of this place featured this grand dame of a home at night with uplights illuminating the front. With its concave mansard roof and center three-and-a-half-story tower, we could imagine the Adams family feeling right at home within the walls. For 200 years, it sat above Newport, looming down over the Ohio River. Today, it's a music venue and a place for the arts. Stories claim that there are at least three spirits in this house. The city of Newport itself has ties to gangsters and a few other haunted places as well. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of the Southgate Thompson House in Newport, Kentucky. Newport, Kentucky is located at the confluence of the Ohio and Licking Rivers and is today known as an entertainment hub for northern Kentucky. The area was first settled by James Taylor Jr. in 1791, and no, not that James Taylor. The official founding of the town came in 1795 and was named for Admiral Christopher Newport, who was the commander of the first ship to reach Jamestown, Virginia. One might wonder why they would choose a name connected to Virginia. Taylor's home state was Virginia. The Newport Barracks was established in 1803 and was a center of activity during the Civil War for both sides. Jefferson Davis, General Robert E. Lee, and Union General Ulysses S. Grant all served tours of duty at the Newport Barracks. The Campbell County Courthouse went up and eventually became the site of public hangings in the late 1800s. 
It's amazing how many of these county courthouses became the place where you also got hanged. So it's like you're found guilty, you were sentenced to be executed, and they just took you out in the parking lot and put you up on the gallows. Bring your picnic baskets, folks. Yeah. Woohoo. <laughs> Newport grew so much that by 1900, it was the third largest city in Kentucky. This city was the place to be for speakeasies and illegal alcohol during Prohibition and earn the reputation of being called Sin City. How many cities can declare that? So many. Right. Gangsters loved this place, and some of the main mobsters here were Mo Dallitz, George Remus, Dutch Schultz, and Pete Schmidt. A flood wall was built in 1948 because of a catastrophic flood in 1937 that flooded much of the city. There are many bridges in the town that were built to connect to neighboring communities. A little fun fact about the Daniel Carter Beard Bridge is that it is nicknamed Big Mac Bridge. You want to know why, Kelly? Pray tell. Because it resembles the McDonald's arches because it's yellow and they both, you know, Oh my goodness, how funny. Well, works. I wonder if they serve up really good fries. Richard Southgate was born in 1774 to Captain Wright Southgate and his wife Mary in Manhattan, New York. The Southgate family name came from the ancestors who had been keepers of the Southgate in London, England. Richard went to William and Mary College to study law and had the opportunity to hear at the bar men like Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. It was good that he was only hearing from them and not seeing them, like shooting (laughs) each other or that kind of thing. Well, this is true. He moved to Newport in 1795 and was licensed to practice law in 1797. A few years later, he got involved in politics and was elected to the Kentucky House of Representatives in 1803. He then moved on to the Senate for many years. He married Anne Winston Hind in 1799, who was the daughter of Revolutionary War officer Dr. Thomas Hind. They had eight children, and they all lived to adulthood. Which is amazing for the time. Yes, indeed. Good strong genes. Squire Grant purchased 1,000 acres of land from William Kennedy in August of 1796. This was on the east side of the Licking River. He assigned the land to William Mosby Grant, who, the next day, assigned it to Richard Southgate. The Southgates originally built a log house on the property. So that's a lot of 1,000 acres that he ended up with there. Sure is. Southgate was prosperous enough by 1814 that he was able to build his family a mansion to replace the original log house that they'd had there. Construction took until 1821 to complete the house at 24 East 3rd Street. At the time that construction commenced, there were British prisoners at the Newport Barracks who had been captured during the War of 1812. It is believed that some of these prisoners were brought to the property and used to help build the mansion. Talk about some free labor there. Uh, Yeah, I'd say so. The entire Southgate property took up a complete city block. The mansion was three stories tall when completed. The first floor had a parlor, library, and dining room. The second floor had ballrooms and ladies' sitting rooms. The third floor had more bedrooms, and we assume there were probably some servants here, so they probably lived on the third floor as well. The basement had storage and the ballroom. This I find very unique. I don't think I've ever heard of a ballroom down in a basement, other than if you're talking about like a Masonic Lodge or something like that. Sure. Yeah, I certainly haven't heard of it. Yeah. The Southgates enjoyed entertaining people and even hosted future President Abraham Lincoln and a company of soldiers who would fight under Captain Sherman in the Battle of San Jacinto for Texas independence. Southgate died on July 24, 1857, at his mansion. He was 83 years old and had endured a long illness. Southgate House was passed on to his eldest daughter, Frances Mary Talaferro Parker. 
Frances and her husband added the entrance tower to the house, as well as the widow's walk and the mansard-style roof. Frances bequeathed the house to her eldest daughter, Julia Thompson, in 1869. Julia had married James Thompson in 1855, and they had a son named John. James had attended West Point and graduated in 1851. He went on to become a colonel for the Union during the Civil War. John would follow in his father's footsteps and attend West Point as well, graduating in 1882. He became a second lieutenant and was assigned to the Army Ordnance Department in 1890. He later served during the Spanish-American War and got very familiar with the Gatling gun. Automatic firearms fascinated him, and he decided to focus on that and became a famous weapons inventor. He helped develop the Springfield 1903 rifle used in World War I and the 45 caliber Colt 1911. Kelly, when I was doing the research for this, I told you, hey, look at synchronicity. So for those of you who have your synchronicity bingo cards out. <laughs> right. We, you, start to, we need to start doing that. We need a psychic so that we can have a synchronicity bingo card. We have three back-to-back episodes here. We did West Point two episodes ago. And during that episode, we talked about an iron chain that they put across the Hudson River. Yes, we did. And then the next episode, we had Ringwood Manor, where they were mining iron and created the chain that went across the Hudson River for West Point. (laughs) This is true. And now we have this episode where we have James Thompson attending West Point and his son, John Thompson, attending West Point. (laughs) I was just like, my goodness. Are we supposed to head to West Point for... Our upcoming road trip? I don't know. I I just don't know. We're getting a message. What is West Point trying to tell us? It's aliens. Aliens, I tell you. But Thompson's most famous invention was the Thompson submachine gun, which we all know more commonly as... The Tommy gun. The Tommy gun, yes. He developed this after World War I, and while it was popular with the military during World War II, it was more popular with gangsters. That's how I think a lot of us know about it. Crime gangs in large cities in the 1930s were able to outgun the police, who eventually started using the guns, too. I'm going to shoot them up, see? Pork chops and applesauce. Isn't that swell? Sorry, I'm going, I'm, I'm like having a flashback of Brady Bunch. Diddy rat to diddy diddy rat. No, it's more like, you dirty rat. I'm just kidding. I have no <laughs> idea. I don't remember. I was too young for all that. I, I've never, I, I don't know what I'm talking about. It was James Cagney. You may have <laughs> seen know. it. Public Enemy. It's a great movie. Of course I have. I'm just teasing. John Thompson retired from the military in 1914 after 32 years of service. He was buried at West Point when he died in 1940. The Southgate house was sold to Fannie and Lewis Maddox in 1888, so it was no longer in the Southgate Thompson family anymore. Although that's the way it's known today. In 1894, the first meeting of the Keturah Moss Taylor chapter of the Daughters of the American Revolution, which try to say that five times fast, was held at the house. The Knights of Columbus of Campbell County purchased the mansion in 1914. They restored the house, and after a fire in 1948, they added a brick porch and a large back room. A balcony overlooking the basement was also added, and this allowed people to overlook the main stage that was installed in the basement. The Thompson House has maintained much of this look from the Knights' tenure. The Thompson House is today a music venue where up-and-coming rock and roll bands or musicians perform, and even some well-known acts have performed here. The former ballroom has a horseshoe balcony around it, and it's said that all the seats have a great view of the stage from either the balcony or main floor. The first floor was converted to the bar and billiards room, known as June's Lounge. The second floor was converted to a smaller stage for concerts known as the Parlor. The third floor hosts an art gallery. The house is also popular with paranormal enthusiasts. 
Rarely a week goes by without some kind of unexplained activity. Both guests and employees report many experiences, and the most common accounts shared entail the movement of inanimate objects. Decorations move along the floor and walls. The bar is probably the most active spot with these sorts of things as glasses rattle regularly and move across the bar, and liquor bottles shake and move. A couple were hanging out in June's lounge when a beer slid across the table and ended up in the lap of the young man. They probably didn't like him very much. Maybe he was being rude or picking an argument. Who knows? Or they liked his girlfriend and were like, get lost, dude. Could be. Disembodied footsteps and voices are heard as well. And the front door has a way of opening and closing all by itself. A piano at the venue likes to play itself when nobody is nearby and knocking is heard on the walls. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. Did you know that 80% of the support for History Ghost Bump comes from our executive producers? These are listeners who support the show on a monthly basis. Now, there are some of you who don't want to make that kind of a monthly commitment to us, and that's okay. We love one-time donations as well. If you want to show us a little appreciation for what we've produced for you here, you can either head over to the website at historyghostbump.com, and on the right-hand column when you go down a little ways, there's a button there so you can make a one-time donation. Or you can go to paypal.me forward slash historyghostbump. When you make a one-time donation of $5 or more, we'll send you a folder of bonus episodes. And a special thank you to you executive producers. Some of you have been supporting the show for many years now, and we greatly appreciate it. That makes Mort's heart go pitter-pat. Thank you. People who've had experiences claim that there are three entities in this house. We have our very common Confederate Civil War soldier as number one here. I mean, what place in the South doesn't have a Confederate soldier wandering around? (laughs) Well. And I guess if you go up north, it seems like there's a lot of Union soldiers wandering around, too. During the Civil War, Newport was a gateway to the South. The Newport barracks was controlled by the Union, but loyalties were divided in the city. You can imagine, Kelly, Kentucky would be kind of in that place where it's neutral in between, similar to Missouri. Right. You got the people up north, especially here in Newport. Ohio's right across the river. You've got people who would be going back and forth from there. Obviously, they're okay with the north. Maybe some other people in the town. This is still Kentucky, considered the south. So they're going on the side of the south. I'm sure there were families that were split. Absolutely, or people who work together, that kind of thing. Lots and lots of splits. Where the barracks used to stand is now General James Taylor Park, and it's only a half mile away. So it's possible that a soldier spirit could have wandered over from there, because I thought to myself, how can there be a Civil War soldier here? I mean, nobody in this family that I know of served during that time and would have been killed, so they're coming back home. There wasn't any battle that was right here. So I was like, how can we have this soldier here? Well, you know, a half mile away, you've got this barracks that also served as a hospital. So it's quite possible that he just kind of wandered down and they play music and stuff. So maybe he wants to check the place out. (laughs) Quite possibly. As I said, during the war, the barracks also served as a hospital and some of the worst casualties from the Battle of Shiloh were brought here. This ghost has made many appearances all throughout the house and has even manifested so well that people have conversations with him thinking he's just dressed up in a costume. That's always my favorite. (laughs) You've got like a cover band coming in and you're all standing around listening and like, hey, this is great. You look over to your right and here's some guy wearing a Confederate soldier uniform and you're like, ooh, nice costume, dude. 
Oh, it's not word. Halloween, but okay. Hey, what you drinking there? <laughs> I'm just like, who would think this is somebody wearing a costume? Is that normal? He seems to have a particular fondness for the men's bathroom on the first floor. He did not get the memo, Kelly, that he's supposed to be haunting the women's bathroom. <laughs> Apparently not. It is only women's bathrooms that are haunted. A man's disembodied laughter is attributed to him as well. Another of the spirits seems to belong to a six-year-old boy. It is claimed that he died in the house, but we have no name for him, so this can't be verified. We only know for sure that the man who built this house died inside of it. The boy runs and plays throughout the house, and when people try to chase him down, he disappears. The most well-known apparition here belongs to a ghost everyone calls Elizabeth, and there's an unverified legend connected to her, as is the case with so many of these places. People believe she was a woman who worked in the house for either the Parkers or the Maddoxes. She was married to a man who worked on a riverboat on the Ohio River. The widow's peak on the house gave her a vantage point that she could see the boats down on the river, and many days she would find herself up there gazing down on the boat that her husband was aboard. One day there was a horrible explosion aboard that riverboat, and Elizabeth unfortunately witnessed that. The legend ends in tragedy, as most do. She was so distraught knowing that there was no way he could have survived that she hanged herself right there in the house. What she didn't know was that her husband had been held up by something in the city that caused him to run late, and he was unable to get on the riverboat before it left port. So he had survived. That is so tragic. Oh, my goodness. He gets to go home at the end of the day and find out that his wife is either not there or maybe they brought a message to him that, you know, your wife is deceased now. But, yeah. It's more probable that any female spirit here would actually belong to Frances Parker. She had lived here a long time, may have died in the house, and loved the house enough that when she bequeathed it to her daughter, she specified that she would be allowed to live in the house until her death. I thought that was so interesting because I know when you bequeath a house to somebody, that usually happens, like, after you die. So I don't know if this was some, like, pre, before, go ahead, move in, you get the house, but I get to stay here until I'm dead. I would imagine that was the case. The spirit is thought to be the one that opens and closes the door as though she's going out for an evening walk. One of the most dramatic stories features a Christmas tree that was set up in between some French doors. This tree was pushed across the floor four feet and left in a corner of the room without an ornament out of place. Now, my curiosity says, is that where she would normally put it? Does make you wonder. Is this Francis going, no, this does not look good here. Move it over here. Yep, it's out of place. We got to move it. It belongs over here in the corner. And if Elizabeth was a maid in the house, maybe too she would have moved it because she's like, no, that's not where we put this. Newport, Kentucky has enough haunts that they have offered ghost tours during the fall season. We haven't heard any stories about the former Newport barracks, but it would be a location we would definitely check out. Another spot that has activity for good reason is the memorial known as the World Peace Bell. This is the world's largest free-swinging bell and weighs a whopping 66,000 pounds and measures 12 feet in diameter and 12 feet high. The ring of the bell is described as powerful and awe-inspiring. And while it's meant to be a symbol of peace, spirits are not at peace here. The bell sits atop a former graveyard, one that only had the tombstones moved and not the bodies. Oh no, don't these people know what they're doing? Haven't they seen Poltergeist? I just feel like it's so disrespectful. It drives me crazy. I know. I just don't understand. You know, you know the bodies are there. The city didn't find out this little fun fact until they started digging to install the memorial and workers found bones. Newport was left with a challenge. 
How in the world could they match up bones with the tombstones that were moved to Evergreen Cemetery in Fort Thomas? They decided to just leave the remains here. So many times, people have had a feeling of unease at the memorial. I wonder why, because the dead are already going, you know, I know they used to put those little bells above the grave to ring just in case we, for some reason, were buried alive. So we're ringing the bell to say we're alive. But that bell's a bit big for that purpose. Yeah. You can imagine when they gong it, it's like shaking everything underneath it. And I can't decide what's better, to not disturb the graves and leave them there or to have pulled them all up and put them in a mass grave over at the Evergreen Cemetery. It almost seems like it would be better to just leave them here. So they're not disturbed? Yeah, I don't know. The Newport Syndicate features dining, banquets, entertainment, and a gangster tour. This was originally the Glen Schmidt Playatorium, which housed a bowling alley, restaurant, and casino. I love that, Playatorium. <laughs> I'd never heard that term. That describes it very well. We need more Playatoriums today for adults. It's like an adult playground. Heck yeah. This was owned by local gangster Pete Schmidt, who named it for his son, Glenn. Schmidt also owned the Glen Hotel, where he ran a distillery out of the basement until police busted that up. After getting out of jail, he opened a casino in the hotel and called it the Glen Rendezvous. Apparently, he loved his son Glen a lot. The Cleveland Syndicate wanted to run all the crime in the city, so they offered Schmidt a deal on the hotel, which he refused. He then opened the Beverly Hills Club, which was bigger and better, and when he wouldn't sell that to the Cleveland Syndicate, they burned it down. The Playtorium not only had the legal fun, it also catered to prostitution and illegal booze. And as I already mentioned, it was a casino, too, which that was illegal gambling at the time, too. It was rumored that Schmidt tortured and killed a member of the Purple Gang at the Playtorium. The Purple Gang was also known as the Sugar House Gang, and they were out of Detroit. These were mostly Jewish gangsters who were hijackers and bootleggers. It was rumored they took part in the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. So I guess you certainly wouldn't want to kill one of their people because they were tough dudes. The place was remodeled in the 1990s and became the Newport Syndicate, and people claim it's haunted. There have been dozens of sightings of an apparition wearing a black suit and fedora. Many times this ghost is acting as a peeping Tom in the women's restroom. As I said earlier, it's always the women's restroom. Creeper. Stories about this spirit go all the way back to the 1960s when a waitress reported that she was pushed into the sink while in the bathroom. She looked in the mirror and saw this fedora-wearing man just before he disappeared. Melissa Reinert took the ghost tour in 2016 and wrote about it in an article in the Cincinnati Inquirer. She wrote, Our guide shared the story of a psychic who had taken the tour a few years back. When he reached this corner of the alley, he kept saying, So many, so many, so many. When she asked what he was talking about, he replied that looking out of the windows of the buildings on either side of the alley were all those who had witnessed the mob-related murders that occurred just up the street at Six and Monmouth. There were eight murders on that corner, and no one was ever brought to justice for any of them. Their souls, the psychic said, were stuck there because of guilt. If all this isn't enough hauntings for you in Newport, Bobby Mackey's Music World is just five miles down the road. Are these places, especially the Southgate Thompson House haunted? That That is for you to to decide. decide. I'm wondering if our friends over there at Hillbilly Horror Stories have ever been to this venue. I know they go to a lot of concerts. Well, possibly. It reminds me a lot of going to a hard rock cafe because those are usually, you know, smaller buildings where you've got a concert going on, that kind of thing. 
So it'd be really cool. And I have to say, this house is amazing. I showed you the picture and I was just like, look at this place. Yeah, it looks fantastic. So it's a perfect place to have some kind of a concert going on because you're just walking into this gothic looking kind of house. want to encourage you guys to check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And as you guys are listening to this, we are on our road trip going on up to Salem. So hopefully we've gotten to meet some of you along the way. Yes, I certainly hope so. I want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And now, this month in history. You rock. <laughs> Two beats. <laughs> do, do. This is what happens when I tell Kelly, give me a couple of beats in between saying, <laughs> this moment, Noddy. And this month in history. And then she starts going, boom, boom, with her microphone. And next thing you know, we're just dancing in the closet like fools. <laughs> Newport, Kentucky is located at the confluence of the Ohio and Licking Rivers and is today known as an entertainment hub for northern Kentucky. And yes, the name of the river is Licking Kelly. <laughs> I saw her do a double take looking at the script and she's like, wait a minute, licking? Who names a river licking? Took a licking and kept on ticking. Yeah, whatever. Rivering. Something. The Institute planned to build a nonprofit museum to display this. That's what happens when your words go faster than your tongue. Happens to me all the time. From the kinetic, from the kinetic. I want to play with connects. You really don't have to say the C, Kelly. <laughs> Connecticut. I know. Stop it. Now you've got it in my head. Jefferson Davis, Robert. Robert General E. Lee. There are many bridge. Broad bridges. There are many bridges in the town. <laughs> are they like draw bridges or bridges like in their mouth or? <laughs> They're bridges. They hold the everything. Bridges. Everything like in place. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to expound on that one. <laughs> the Southgate family came. Came name. <laughs> the came name. Name came. Came name. Which came first, chicken or the egg? Purple Kang, Purple Kang, the Kang. It's like Tang, Purple Tang. <laughs> purple Tang might have been a little bit more tasty than the orange stuff. I don't know. Possibly. Did you ever have Tang? 
I like orange tang, actually. I mean, I don't know if it would be too sweet for me now, but as a kid, that's what I liked. I wasn't into Kool-Aid or anything like that. I drank I drank it all. 